0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Angry Environmentalists. In today's episode, we have a very special guest speaker who is here to talk about her 25-plus years of experience studying sharks. Our guest speaker was inducted into the Woman Divers Hall of Fame in 2011, and she is a part of many different clubs and societies, such as the Explorers Club, the Ocean Artists Society, and a Platinum Pro 5000 recipient, just to name a few. She has also founded her own nonprofit called People of the Water. In which the organization's main mission is to change people's relationships with our world's aquatic systems as a patty course director and a cave diving instructor she has empowered and educated people on the importance of ocean and shark conservation she's even garnered the name shark whisperer you can find our guest speaker featured in a few shark week programs such as sharktacular against the current and save this shark so without further ado i'd like to give a warm welcome to our amazing guest speaker Christina Zanato.
1: Thank you for having me Taylor. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah I'm super excited. So I think like the first kind of question I have is like are there a lot of different types of sharks? Because I know for myself the first thing I think of is like the great whites and like tiger sharks. I don't really know like about all the other ones.
1: Yes, there are over 520 species of sharks in all the oceans of the world, with the exception of Antarctica for now. Wow. And they vary very much in range from size. The smallest shark in the world is the dwarf lantern shark. This is the size of a pen. And the biggest shark in the world is the whale shark. And it's the biggest fish in the ocean and can reach up to 45 feet in length. in the filter feeders. And, and the sharks live everywhere. They live from coastal areas all the way to the, the abyss where some species maybe have just been captured once on camera by deep explorers or even never been captured on camera before. And the reason why we know they exist is uh, sometimes uh, some of the deep sea fishing uh, activities that human conduct, and then they become caught into the net and come up to to the surface. So uh, a huge variety and definitely for me, like saying sharks is like saying birds. You know, if I said all oh, birds sing beautifully, can fly and are black, uh, you would immediately think, no, that's not true on, on all three statements. And so that same goes for the sharks. We kind of like need to start understanding how many of them there are and how many different roles they play.
0: Yeah. Wow. I did not know there were over 500 shark species. That's extremely awesome. So you obviously know so much about sharks and within your research and stuff. So how long have you been researching and studying sharks?
1: I've been uh, diving and working with sharks for the last 28 years and some change, basically. I came here on vacation to learn how to scuba dive, found sharks on my first dive and decided that this was the place that I wanted to stay. And so I was immediately immersed into sharks and being in the water with them. And I've been doing it since. I have not stopped yet. <laughs> Together being here, then I obviously also travel to different parts of the world. This is my base, Grand Bahama Island in the Bahamas, but I also traveled to many different places in the world to observe different species of sharks, also observe other humans working and interacting with sharks and learning a little bit more about maybe a dozen more species, still very, very little compared to how many there are out there, but at least to have an idea how all the different animals interact, live and obviously affect their own environment.
0: Mm. So that's awesome that you found you know, the species that you, you can say is your favorite. I'm sure sharks are definitely one of your favorites, um, but you mentioned the roles that shark, sharks play. So what are the importance of sharks and why do we need them?
1: <laughs> we can have a podcast just on that. Um, <laughs> sharks are um, apex predators, but also uh, in the role of apex predators become also mesopredators, but they, at the end of the day, are call them cleaners. So sharks are there to maintain the balance of the ecosystem by eliminating uh, those prey within their diet that are uh, dying, they're sick, uh, maybe they're dead or they're injured. Uh, but furthermore, like any predator, they also um, control the, the redistribution of those animals below them, especially herbivores and other small predators. And it prevents them from like overgrazing, for example, or over consuming something. I um, would say sharks are almost like the wolves of the sea. And so their importance is related in maintaining a health ocean web, uh, which then in the end reflects in a health uh, fisheries for humans. Because at the end of the day, there's um, we are on the top of the food chain and there's quite a lot of people that still depend on fisheries uh, for survival. And so the survival of the sharks is are directly linked to the survival of the human race.
0: So I think, sadly, the role of these apex predators have taken the role of being feared by people, being the big, bad wolf. And I'd love to now dive into, uh, funny, I say dive, uh, dive into why people shouldn't be scared of them and why we need them. You know, we're scared of something. I think as humans, we get scared of something and we don't want it. We want to eradicate it. So let's talk about why we shouldn't be scared of them well
1: i understand fear like you said they're apex predators and it's uh, ingrained in us and our ancestors to be afraid of anything that has a fangs and claws and could literally uh, eat us alive but the thing is that is what all we think about sharks and that is Uh, very much not true even the biggest of the predators the great white uh, does not feed on humans nor actively hunts humans we have very few incidents between uh, big hunters of feed on animals our prey and humans compared to the amount that they were in the water we should not fear them because they um, are not interested in us but we need them in a certain way the oceans belong to them so no in a certain way excuse me the oceans do belong to them and we as humans need to learn to adapt to this reality um the likelihood of being bitten or even furthermore being eaten alive as most people are afraid of by a shark is like very, very, very low, even for those people that are in the ocean every day. So it's not just, oh, well, it's, you know, obviously if I live in New York City, my likelihood is very low. I'm talking about the people that are in the water. There are 11 and a half million people that go into water in the United States every year in one form or the other. Um, negative shark encounters are sometimes are in existence for a whole year, or maybe we have one or two or three. And those are the things that we need to uh, pay attention to. So I think the fear is a little bit um, caused by our instinct of survival. And a little bit of fear is okay because uh, a fear is what has kept us alive. When I burn my hand on the stove, then I learn to fear the heat that comes from the stove and not burn my hand anymore. But the fear of sharks goes beyond that as been turned into a phobia. And phobia prevents us from actually seeing what the reality is, what the truth about sharks is, and actually how vulnerable sharks are, not how dangerous they are, but how vulnerable they are from our presence.
0: Yeah, I think that's important to note that distinction because like myself, I'm scared of spiders, but I respect their their ecosystem service, you know? So having that like healthy fear or something. But also I saw on the news and also from your LinkedIn posts about that person that was sadly attacked and killed by a shark and how the news portrayed this shark in such bad lighting and how this shark is people killers, dangerous, monstrous, and all these words that they use to describe sharks in general. And they forget to talk about how rare this is. So can we we talk about that a little bit?
1: Yes, that was a very unfortunate incident. Uh, the swimmer Simon was um, very much uh, severed uh, by the shark in what was like what looked like a direct uh, intent of um, attacking, uh, which uh, may give the impression that the sharks was looking for for a prey. But even that is a so remote. I received so many messages from people that swim there every day. Um, there's been people swimming and training there for the last 60 years. And this was the first incident in those 60 years. I have no words of, you know, like a consolations. I think a, it is absolutely horrifying for a family to go through that and through that thought and that process. Um, But what happened is the shark was turned into this monster, into this vicious creatures, into all these negative connotations. When in the end my post was about saying this was an act of nature and nature, yes, may appear cruel to us or may feel, let's use the word aggressive or vicious. But at the end of the day, the, the sharks only had one intent, which was in that moment. Feeding. It had no ill wishes in a certain way towards the human. It's not that when, oh, this is a human I'm going to intentionally hurt this human. It was just a case of mistaken death in which the sharks sharksman, this is a prey and I'm going for the prey. Um, like I said, as horrible as this is, it was a natural behavior. And I think the most aggressive creature on this planet it's us. The way we violently act onto each other, not for survival, not for direct hunting, not for food, but for many a reason, greed, money, power um, is actually way more vicious than any animal out there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I 100% agree. As, we, as humans, we hunt for sports sometimes and just for trophies, but animals don't do that. Animals are purely hunting for food and sustenance.
1: And the difference is they hunt and consume whatever is needed. Uh, Humans sometimes hunt and like if they find, if a spearfisher finds 10 lobsters, they'll spear 10 lobsters, although they only need to eat a couple. So we also have this way of going in and collected everything that we can find instead of saying, well, I only need a couple of fishes. and just going to spear a couple of fishes instead of we go in and just harvest everything that is possible. And then, like you said, a trophy display and unfortunately sharks is one of the, uh, most affected by this trophy display. There's a, so many shark fishing tournament for the sake of fishing, the biggest shark in the ocean, which ultimately is the strongest, of the animals out there is the one that should actually be left there to reproduce, is the one that has the most likelihood to, to have the better offspring. And they're just captured for a display of, I don't know, power and superiority. The problem is what we don't realize is uh, is a power over nothing, is a victory over nothing, is a loss for everyone.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I really like that quote. Yeah, it's, and it's true, it's I feel like some of the biggest threats to sharks, which we'll talk about in a minute, are humans. Um, so can you kind of go into that as well? Like, what are the biggest threats to these sharks that you see in the Bahamas and around the world?
1: Well, uh, threats to sharks come in many different ways. And one, uh, maybe if we take a step back and start thinking about how sharks uh, grow, reproduce, um, we do realize very quickly why uh, they are so threatened by our presence. The sharks have in general, a very late sexual maturity. Uh, some sharks are known to develop maybe at 10, 12 years old before they start having offsprings. They have very slow reproductive rates. So some sharks only give birth every couple of years, and then they have, tend to have very small litters. So, so there are sharks that may produce one or two pups. Um, all these numbers um, basically maintain the sharks are predators in check. So you don't want to have an overpopulation of sharks, and that's how nature puts them in in, in check. However, here we come along and we start doing quite a lot of things. We first direct attack sharks, so we fish sharks. In a certain way, we overfish sharks. An animal that reproduces so slow and so late is very quickly overfished because it doesn't keep up with the amount of animals that we pull out of the ocean. We do do that through direct hunting of the animals, so targeting, but also indirect. Um, a very negative method is, for example, long lining, as well as a, like a drift nets, basically those nets that scoop everything up from the ocean. And then both of them cause what we call bycatch. So the bycatch is the waste product of our intended target. And there are some um, creatures out there that are fish and cause one in 10 of their bycatch. That means for every one pound of this animal taken out of the ocean, there's 10 pounds of bycatch thrown back into the water, traditionally dead. So sharks are fished. Uh, directly, they're fished. Indirectly, uh, we have the finning industry, which is the practice of capturing sharks and uh, cutting their fins off. Although some countries now have this kind of rule of fins attached, they're still pulling out so many animals out of the water just for their fins, and then we attack them indirectly. Uh, By doing bycatch, we take quite a lot of food out of the ocean that causes obviously imbalances in the ecosystem, including to them and all the other predators and animals involved into these webs. We are polluting the oceans um, with chemicals, with plastic, with uh, um, elements that affect how uh, basically this accumulates into into their flesh. But ultimately, um, some of it is also how they migrate and how they move. And I've been listening to different professors and how sharks have changed, how sharks have disappeared from some areas, how sharks have moved out and then some have moved in. And so all these environmental effect that we do to them. And then we have coastal development. So quite a lot of species use uh, river estuaries, bays, mangrove areas, to reproduce, to live their youngs, and through a of coastal development, boat traffic, noise, pollution, we are actually depriving them of safe areas where to keep their youngs. So they are bombarded by our presence on all these different levels.
0: Yeah, it seems like humans, it seems like humans are the theme for a lot of animal peril, so, which is sad.
1: We are, we absolutely are.
0: So kind of going into your research specifically, what have you focused on in regards to sharks?
1: Well, my work is uh, that uh, my research is based on working with uh, professors. And so one of the things I do is I monitor the local population that I work and live with. And then I monitor like their size, their growth rate, how often they're on the site, how long do they stay on the site? So just the identification of just one specific group of sharks noticing like pregnancies, when they are not pregnant, when they disappear, how long they're there for, um, incidents like, you know, how many times males come in. And so it's kind of like a long-term diary of their observation. A lot of my work is more into communication and basically Uh, speaking about sharks to people and changing people's perception of sharks uh, through direct exposure but also indirect exposure and like in this case into conversations and presentations and so sharing a reality of sharks that is very uh, still unknown that still triggers quite a lot of like naysayer even if you present them with images and videos and then transferring what is a science into more palatable information so instead of writing a paper is I'm more like about sharing some small little details generalized details that make people uh, start having a different perception of sharks and understanding
0: yeah I think that's super important to learn how to use science communication to actually have people learn and learn that you don't need to be scared of this or here's the actual science in a way that we can all understand it Sometimes we look at those you know, scientific literature and we're like, what did that say by the end? So I think that's very true. So you talk about how, how you have to spend a lot of time with these sharks. So I'm sure you get to know them very well and get to know some of these sharks very well. So what's your most memorable experience with a shark?
1: Um, I would say the first time and every time that uh, one of my girls came into my lap and allowed me to pet her. Um, the, sh- the sharks basically initiates this uh, interaction and they'll come and swim either into my chest or into my lap. And naturally when a shark, when a Caribbean reef shark stops swimming and they sink to the ocean floor and uh, contrary to popular belief, which is what a lot of people believe, uh, sharks actually have two systems of ventilating and most of the species have a second system called buccal pumping. So they can actually sit motionless and open and close their mouth and uh, um, siphon water in and then push it through the gills where they extract the oxygen for their survival and uh, having an eight and a half a nine foot animal swim into your lap and literally saying even if not literally not but like physically saying i trust you i am okay with this i don't fear you i won't run away it's not a forceful behavior it's not an aggressive behavior that i have towards them it's not that i Grab them and roll them and hold them. Is I'm just basically allow them to come in. And this animal says, Yes, in this moment I am okay with it. I think is the most memorable memory, but it's the most memorable event, no matter how many times it happens. Because for me, every time is a manifestation of trust. And every time is a manifestation of a connection that we have. And it might not be the connection that people expect to have, you know, like maybe between. You and the dogs, or you and a primate, or you and another human being. And it cannot be because they are sharks, not primates, not can hide, not human being. And so, as such, is a relationship that we establish on their terms, on their level, which is different. Um, I never say sharks love me, I say I love sharks, but I do believe sharks have a understanding of who I am, what I do down there and a feeling that is not a threat nor a stress. And as such, they allow this interaction. Now, not all the female, not all the girls in the group want to come into my lap. I have two or three that allow me to do that. The rest doesn't. They're kind of like, yeah, sure, I'll come close to you. You can pet me as I swim by, but I will not sit there. And that's why for me is even more special because it's not just, oh, I just, you know, command something and the sharks obey is actually very much a decision of the single individual.
0: Well, wow, that's so special that you get to experience that, that I think I'd be a little scared the first time, but I'm sure you're very used to it now. Obviously, you don't fear them, um, which is super awesome that you get these experiences.
1: Well, the first time might be intimidating for anyone, even someone that loves that and wants to feel it is intimidating. And that's what happens when I take down them- um, those uh, guests that want to try this, um, if grandma comes in and leans into their into their legs or into their stomach, their first instinct is to push her away, and my job is actually to cut that feeling. And I'm going, oh wow, you actually want interaction, so it's like one little a step. Intimidation is normal, having, like I said, you know, eight and a half foot animals swim towards you and say, hey, I'm going to lean into your lap, <laughs> obviously can cause some um, kind of reluctance at first.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So I think my last thing for you is how can we support shark conservation and how can we support your research?
1: Um, I conduct most of my work. Um, uh, through my little non nonprofit very little it's called people of the water it's pownonprofit.org and uh, people can donate and that money goes towards shark research but it goes quite a lot towards education I do talk to a lot of classrooms I do a lot of one-on-one I host people and scholars so that money goes towards helping me expand the education work that I do about sharks as well as taking on people to Work and interact with them. Um, in general, I would say people can start looking into safe ways to interact with the ocean. For example, on the consumption level. So if people are still eating fish, maybe they can look into. Uh, there's a seawatch.org and now seasafe.org. Sorry, seasafe.org and is a list that allows people to see what fish is sustainable, what fish is questionable, what fish should really be off someone's list. And both from a health point of view, but also from a sustainability point of view. Uh, They can also work on local legislations. Doesn't matter where you are. You can be in a landlocked part of the world and still have a saying in the Uh, traffic, in the transport, in the import and export of shark products. So wherever your voice is valid, uh, could be the United States, could be Europe, whatever your passport allows you to do is work towards better legislation to safeguard sharks and watch actually what's happening within the confines of your environment. Don't just think, oh, well, I I live in Indiana. I have nothing to do with the oceans and such. such. I don't have to worry about sharks. I will never affect them. And start looking how many products contain sharks Um, hidden under different words, including spelling Google. How many words are actually in products that actually mean they're derived from sharks? You'd be surprised how many they are. And those are just like little personal actions that anyone can do obviously together with reducing plastic, single use plastic consumption, be a little bit more aware of our environmental impact. Look into locations where sharks have been protected. And if you're a diver, if you're a swimmer, if you're a free diver, support those countries that are protecting the sharks and promote shark tourism. Because shark tourism is teaching the locals that a live shark is way more valuable than a dead shark because it's a repeatable income. So by going there and supporting that, it supports this decision of the country to have protected sharks, like the Bahamas. We've been protecting sharks since 2011.
0: Wow, So thank you for all that information. And I will be, for anyone listening, I will put your organization's website and where they can donate to in the description of this podcast. So for anyone interested, you will be able to easily find that and click that right there. Um, so thank you so much for coming on to the podcast is there anything else you want to add
1: um, i would like to thank you for giving me this opportunity to share this information i always hope that maybe at least one person who is listening uh, you included um decides to become like the extension of what i do and so uh, becomes the next ambassador for shark and ocean conservation And we do that by really believing in the power of one. I do believe that each one of us has the power to make a difference. Unfortunately, you know, like somebody says, well, by myself, I can't do anything. Said 8 billion people, then nothing will happen. So my mantra is, it's better to have, to conduct one small action than no big action.
0: I love that. I love that quote. That's going to definitely go in the description of this podcast. Yes. That's amazing. It's true. It's one small thing can impact so much. And especially if you, like you said, you get billions of people to do it, you know, we can yeah. really create change. So thank you so much. Thank you. So that wraps up this episode of the Angry Environmentalist. So always remember, stay angry and create positive change.